0: The story.
1: Well, they would leave ounces of speed for me to sell in a drawer, and I would help myself to go and sell, and I'd have to put the money in the drawer. But, you know, I started using more than what I was selling. And yeah, I got into debt, which it got me in a lot of trouble. I had two bikers come and pick me up, and they took me down to a secluded bush area and said, You better pay us. And if you decide to run, We will find you and we'll kill you.
0: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Sarah Smith grew up in a turbulent home where she saw her parents raging at each other on a regular basis. Sadly, when her parents eventually split up, Sarah mistakenly thought it was her fault. And as she entered her young adult years, she says she hated herself. She went on to become involved with drugs and a biker gang, which led her to the point of having a gun held to her head. But as we'll hear, God has delivered her from her dark past and she's now living for him. Sarah will share her incredible story today. But first, I just want to let parents know that due to the adult themes that will be discussed, today's program is not recommended for young children. Sarah Smith is joining us from her home in Perth in Western Australia, and she's chatting with Eric Scadabo. Sarah Smith, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks, Eric.
0: Glad to have you with us. And
2: I am so sad to hear what you went through. And unfortunately, it's so common today that children of divorced parents, somehow they internalize and they blame themselves for the problems that their parents are having. And so that's what was going on in your young life at that time?
1: yes when um when you're observing and being you know you're you're watching your parents destruct and have that turbulence between each other mm-hmm. um it's difficult to process that in a young mind mm-hmm. um you know you you're trying to reconcile what's happening and you don't understand and so naturally, you know for someone of a young age like myself at that time, I just felt. What have I done wrong? How can I make it better? This must be my fault. Mm. These are the processes because you're trying to understand. You're trying to make, you know, sense of what you're mm. experiencing yeah. and what you're seeing. So yeah. I think it's an yeah. And that it's just the world, you it's a small world, your family. You're you're seeing and that's that's basically everything to you. And so when that's falling apart, you're thinking, you're wanting to make it better, you're wanting to make it right, mm. but you don't know how. So you feel like That is your fault.
2: Yeah, and you're taking it on to yourself at such a young age where you should just be playing with dolls and jumping on a trampoline and all that and not thinking about, you know, the problems that your parents are having. But unfortunately, with divorce being so high in society today, you're not alone. Many children have gone through that turbulence and unfortunately also, many children somehow, in their young innocent minds, mistakenly think that they're to blame for it.
1: Mm, So true. It's, it's, rife now throughout this generation mm. and yeah many others so yeah,
2: yeah it's very sad but the lord can turn around every situation and we're going to hear how the Lord has helped you and turn your whole life around where did it all begin
1: well I was born in Liverpool England mm-hmm. and I moved to New Zealand when I was two and my brother was seven uh, we moved there because uh, my my parents wanted to give us a better life mm-hmm. it was quite you know um, as my mom puts it there was a lot of you know, gangs over in England and Liverpool, and it was quite, yeah, just rough hmm. over there, like the Bronx of of England, really. Um, so they chose to move to New Zealand for a better life for us.
2: I'm just starting to uh, see the irony. They wanted to get you away from the gangs, but yet eventually you get involved in a biker gang.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, it's ironic. It really hmm. is. Yeah, so we moved to New Zealand and you know, I have an older brother, he's five years older than me. And yeah, it was it was good. We lived in a small community in, in New Zealand where my dad worked at the power station mm-hmm. and it was called Merry Merry Village. So yeah, it was just a small community and everything and it was okay, you know, there was no nothing um going on there. It was obviously quite difficult for my family to adjust to such a big change and mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously the transition from from country to country with no family, close family for them, although they also had um, quite a dysfunctional upbringing themselves. So, yeah, going from, from there, I think they just wanted to get us away from all of that drama and, mm. um, yeah, but I think the isolation and, you know, obviously trying to fit in and make, make new friends and for them to to start a new life deemed more challenging than what they were expecting.
2: Mm. And was faith a part of your life growing up?
1: Definitely not. Um, we were never exposed to God or Christianity. In fact, Jesus was a swear word in our home. Oh, um, Yeah, there was no direct I, – I was never exposed to Christianity mm-hmm. or God uh, at all. So, until we moved to a place called Papakura, and I was about seven when we moved in there, my parents bought a home there and we lived on a, a, a quite a friendly family street. And um, yeah, my brother and I used to to ride our bikes and and, and that up and down the street. And yeah, I was seen this young girl, Natalia Muir, her name was. Wow, you remember her name all these oh, years yeah. later? Oh, yeah. I still think of her, actually, really? now. Yeah, wow. I do. I wonder where she is now. I've tried to look her up, but I hmm. haven't managed to find her yet. But maybe one day I'll be able to find her. Um, and she was jumping on a trampoline, which was outside down the driveway. And I seen her, and I was bold and courageous <laughs> and, and asked her, can I can I come and join her and jump on the trampoline with her? And, and she was gracious and said yes yeah, sure and and so yeah we become really good friends and um and i realized that uh she was a homeschooled christian um she had her mum and her sister there and her sister was also homeschooled and mm. and so i i became a regular um visitor at their home and was exposed to christianity and you know we'd sing songs about jesus and i wow. i was i love the tambourine i was, <laughs> Playing on the tambourine, I, I didn't understand it then, but looking back, I think, wow, that was a major time that God was sowing into my heart, you know, the truth and who mm-hmm. Jesus is, even though I didn't get it at the time. And yeah. and at the same time as that happening and the home, that was where the, the, the hardest time in our family was happening.
2: Yeah, I'm thinking, correct me if I'm wrong, but there might have been mm-hmm. quite a contrast between the two families. So you have this turbulence and fighting and arguing in your own home.
1: Yes. And then you
2: have a homeschooled Christian girl jumping on a trampoline, probably not having a care in the world. I don't know. Uh, was, was that kind of the impression you had?
1: It was like black and white, and I was so drawn to keep going there, I think, because mm-hmm. it was almost like a refuge for yeah. me. Mm-hmm. I just found peace there, and I could live in the moment mm-hmm. rather than in fear. I was just so fearful all the time at home. Mm,
2: quite a contrast, but the Lord used that family to plant a seed in your heart at that young age.
1: Sure did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm really thankful for that. Mm. So, then um, there was a time, I think I started going home and I was mentioning Jesus. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think that caused a bit of concern for my parents and my mom stopped me from going there. But mm. at the same, it's it's a little bit hazy on what actually occurred there. It just seemed like I was stopped from going there. Mm. Um, but at the same time, my parents were going through a, a major challenge in their in their marriage. And there was a lot of, um, how can I put it? Uh, um, a turbulent
2: home, I guess would be that. It was
1: a turbulent home. It really was. And mm. It was a tough time. My dad actually picked me up from school around that time to prepare me and tell me that, um, you know, obviously mum and, and him were having a hard time and that they were planning on separating. So he mm-hmm. prepared me. But but then when they actually came to that point, my mum my left with us two kids in the middle of the night without us saying bye to dad. He wasn't at home at the time. And yeah, and we moved out. We went to my mom's office um, and stayed there the night. And um, not long after that, we moved into another home and my mom had uh, a new relationship.
2: Now, in your young life at that time, I mean, that had to just kind of turn your world upside down. How are you feeling at that point?
1: I was feeling very alone and very confused, and I Mm, just wanted my dad. I just, I didn't understand
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's understandable.
1: Yeah, you know, I just wanted it all back together and all better again. And uh, in my young mind, it was, I just wanted to fix it, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah, just so confused and trying to reconcile what was happening. I just, yeah, I just became insulated and quiet. I guess I lost a lot of confidence and self-esteem and mm. because of the blame and the and the and the processing in my mind that it was my fault I began to hate myself and yeah and become angry.
2: So inside you're thinking, "Oh, could I have done something better? Was it my fault? Could I have done more?" I mean, and mm. the thing is as adults we're looking back at this, we know, "No, you're just a child. You're just supposed to be, you know, playing and doing your homework at school. You're not supposed to be trying to help" marriages be fixed and everything but that's what was going through your mind at that time which turned into kind of a self loathing would you say
1: absolutely and I feel like my mom um yeah no she needed somebody at that time too Mm -hmm. she was going through such a hard time and unfortunately she you know lent on me a lot Mm -hmm. and which was also very difficult because I wanted to help her but I was Unable to, I didn't have the tools and I wasn't mm. equipped. I was just a young child. and yeah. yeah, I would have liked to have just been able to be playful and enjoy times of, of just being a child, mm. but yeah. there was just so much going on. It consumed every part of me. Mm. The only time that I felt that I had any sort of freedom to be me was when I went to school or there was these times where I'd go from walks and I'd, you know, just do pretend play in these walks and sort of create a peaceful world in those moments, but Mm. they would only be for for moments, unfortunately. Yeah. I I believe that God actually met me in those moments. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. know, He brought that peace. Mm -hmm. Um, Although I didn't know that that was God at the time, looking back, I believe that it was Him.
0: You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scatterbo is chatting with Sarah Smith, who's joining us from her home in Perth and sharing her life journey with us. And as we've been hearing, Sarah grew up in a turbulent home and mistakenly blamed herself for her parents' divorce. We'll hear more of Sarah's story when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Today, Eric Scatterbo is chatting with Sarah Smith, who grew up in a turbulent home and mistakenly blamed herself for her parents' divorce. Sadly, this led her to loathe herself and her life was on a downward spiral. And as we heard before the break, she went on to live with her mother. And
2: meanwhile, deep in your heart, you're wanting your dad.
1: I was wanting my dad. Every
2: little girl wants daddy, right?
1: Yes. And you want him to be proud of you, mm, you want him yeah. to you know love you and tell him how much you know he thinks you're amazing and you're his princess but mm, yeah, yeah, I didn't get that. Mm.
2: And that led you to have self-confidence issues and self-loathing and well, actually at one point you said you started to hate yourself.
1: I did. I started to hate myself and I was started to drawn to people that also I guess were hurting and had struggles at school Mm -hmm. and you know we you know would be the ones that meet on the oval and kind of be the outcasts Mm -hmm. and you know would be hiding cigarettes and smoking and things like that um hiding from teachers not Mm -hmm. wanting to be caught and and things like that you know I I, I lost myself I didn't know who I was anymore and I was finding people that I could I guess, have things in common with and connect with, and unfortunately, they were also broken people. Mm.
2: Yeah, so the troubled kids are banding together, I guess you could say.
1: Absolutely.
2: But then eventually, you did move back with your father.
1: I did. I did. I think my mom's sort of seen that that was necessary and She wanted to again make a a new life for herself and I didn't know this at the time but she had planned to move to Australia Mm -hmm. and to start afresh and gave me the opportunity to go and live with my dad and he took me in and unfortunately because I was already broken by them, I I, I had a broken heart. It was, Mm. you know, it was very difficult for me to, it was a a bit too much too late. Mm -hmm. um too little too late sorry and you know even though i got the heart's desire to move back with my dad it wasn't what i was dreaming it would be that Mm -hmm. he would be involved in my life and and want to encourage me and support me and things like that Mm -hmm. it was more he was living his life and i was doing my thing as a young person and um yeah, so he, he played a lot of sports, so he was away on weekends and that gave me opportunity to go to friends down the road and smoke marijuana and drink mm-hmm. while he was away. And I was just going down a bit of a spiral, mm-hmm. but he wasn't as aware, I don't think, as much as I was, well, as yeah, as much as I was actually doing. I don't know how much he was aware of and But one day he came home and he was actually, he must have hidden his car. Um, He must have gotten wind of I was doing something. And um, he actually was in the house waiting for me. And I walked in and turned the light on and he was sitting there, which absolutely shocked me. And with the, you know, the most disapproved look on his face. And to ask where I'd been, and I was obviously stoned and drunk and, And told him I'd been at a friend's house. And he said, well, you're moving back with your mother. I'm sending you to Australia.
2: Mm. So here you thought in your mind, if I was only back with my father, everything would be right in my world. Obviously, that didn't turn out that way. Now, you're suddenly sent back to your mother, but she's no longer in New Zealand. She's in Australia. So this is another big upheaval in your life at this point.
1: Yeah, sure was, and I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go. You know, I just felt like he was rejecting me and mm. didn't want anything to do with me the way that um And, he and spoke this isn't going to gonna help
2: uh, a young person's self-esteem if you're feeling no. rejected by your father.
1: Not at all. You know, all I wanted was to be accepted mm. and approved by him, and yeah. unfortunately, But, you know, due to my choices as well, but I think it was because of the brokenness in my heart. I just couldn't get it right. I just kept making bad decisions and I got myself in such a deep pit. Mm. Um, I needed his help to get out, but he didn't realise what he needed to do to help me to get out. And instead he gave up on me. And in that moment, it just sort of cemented and affirmed what I already felt about myself, which was that I wasn't acceptable or I wasn't lovable, and that my dad didn't love me. Yeah, so I landed in Australia, um, full of hate and hurt and very Mm -hmm. broken, Uh, moved in with my mum, but unfortunately, because of the damage that was already done, I I just started looking for where I could connect with the wrong people again, and, Mm. you know, mum put me into a school and I just did not go, and I don't know how... I think it was about two months before they actually realised that the new person wasn't there. (laughs) Mm. Um, And so I ended up leaving school and um, it was about, yeah, 15 years old. But during that time, so I arrived when I was 14, um, I was on and off going to school and not going to school, meeting people and, you know, met people that could score marijuana from dealers. And during this time, you know, it was obviously again, turbulent with mum and I because I was just a mess and Mm. um, I guess she was expecting me to be okay and it all to be fine again and we could just move on with our lives. But unfortunately, because of all the the hurt already in my heart, I I was just full of hate still. Mm. And um, to me, to be able to help myself, unfortunately, I was involved in in marijuana and taking drugs and that sort of thing. Uh, Eventually, my mum had enough. And I had enough. And she told me to leave. Um, I was 15. The only place that I knew to go was a drug dealer's house. Hmm. Um, and well, That's I went not there. sounding
2: very good right there.
1: No, no. It was the only place. I didn't know anyone very well. Um, and the only ones that I knew of that would be able to take me in or help me were older people. And uh, this guy was a drug dealer, he was in a, his late 30s, and um, I knocked on the door and said, I, I've got nowhere to go, can you help me? And it was basically going into the lion's den right there and then.
2: Mm. Yeah, and he was a biker as well?
1: He was a biker. Now, I didn't know it right then and there until a bit later on where he took me um, up to a place called Mosman, which is a, a bit of a drive up from Cairns. And... um yeah and so there i met all his friends and they were bikers
2: oh okay so not a sunday school picnic type atmosphere these are tough bikers and involved tough in drugs. bikers
1: very much so but i guess because i was classed as one of them now they took me in i felt mm. like i belonged at the time uh, we partied hard that's where i i was given speed amphetamines Mm -hmm. and loved it straight away because it just took away any any kind of pain i was able to party i could drink but still Mm. be sort of able to function because the speed just helps you to stay awake and function Mm. um at the time until you know it took hold of me i became very addicted which means that i i needed to to sell drugs Mm. or or sell myself to be able to support my habit
2: Mm, So kind of a downward spiral. And, you know, it goes back to you're wanting these healthy needs to be met, to be approved and loved by your parents and belong. And unfortunately, some of that's being met by being a part of this biker gang. And then you want the pain to go away. And Mm. the pain is going away, but by taking drugs. So it's having healthy needs met, but in a very, very unhealthy way, would you say?
1: Absolutely. A counterfeit. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
1: And yeah, so I think every human being has an innate desire to belong, to be mm-hmm. loved and accepted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're going to find that wherever you go. You, mm-hmm. If you can't find it in a healthy environment and healthy relationships, you'll find it in unhealthy environment and in unhealthy relationships.
2: And then as you were starting to share, your life was gradually getting into that trap and spiraling downward and downward
1: yes it was deceptive and you know you think they're your friends but actually you're being used and abused Mm. um you're selling drugs for them but you know you're also getting your need met to use um because it was a it was quite an expensive habit and um unfortunately i got into debt
2: now how did that come about
1: well they would leave ounces of speed for me to sell in a drawer and I would help myself to go and sell and I would have to put the money in the drawer. Um, but, you know, I started using more than what I was selling. Mm. And I would give uh, credit to people. Uh, that means I would give them the drugs and expect them to pay me later. And they would promise that they'll pay later. And there was, I ended up you know, making that mistake of um, giving the drugs away, basically, because no one ever paid. Mm. And through that, yeah, I got into debt got into a two thousand dollar debt which yeah it got me in a lot of trouble i had two bikers come and pick me up and they took me down to a secluded bush area and yeah they had a gun on on each side of my head and said you better pay us and if you decide to run we will find you and we'll kill you wow um I don't know how I talked my way out of that in that moment, but I did. Oh, you know, like, I'll pay you. I promise I'll pay you. I'll get the mm. money. I'll find a way, all those promises, and they let me go. Um, I, I went to somebody I knew that, you know, basically i met along the path and sort of s- said you need to get out you know one of these people that come along your path and sort of try and encourage you what you're doing is wrong get out of it mm-hmm. and I went to him and I said I'm in a lot of trouble I'm in this much debt and they're going to kill me if I don't pay and he paid it wow. and then sent me over to Perth uh, to get me out but you know one of the things that doing that is still the fear because the time that I was involved with the bikers they told me that they owned me Hmm. i was their territory i would never break free um i'll always belong to them yeah that that was always in the back of my mind and i was always fearful of that Hmm. um with actually being sent away
2: yeah so to add to all of the troubles you were having as far as a low self-image not valuing yourself very much and then now, that kind fear of became and
1: all a, that, yeah, that all became quite suppressed. All it was now was I need to survive.
2: Mm. yeah, just basic survival.
1: basic survival, mm-hmm. um all that other stuff was obviously buried deep, yeah, um, because I didn't have time to look at that or deal with that. I was in survival mode, mm-hmm. and then I arrived in Perth, and it started again because the addiction doesn't stop just because I've geographically moved right, right. The addiction, I I take me wherever I go.
2: Yeah. Wherever you go, that's where you are.
1: Uh, exactly. And I was still very heavily addicted. And within mm. weeks, I was looking desperately for drugs.
0: Well, we're going to have to stop it right there as we've run out of time for today's program. And as we're hearing, Sarah Smith is at her lowest point and in the strong grip of a drug addiction. But next time, we'll hear how in the midst of her desperation, she calls out to God who lets her know there is a path out of her darkness. We'll hear how Sarah's life completely turns around next time. Well, how about you? Can you relate to aspects of Sarah's life and her desperation? Why not call out to God today? The Lord says in the Bible, When you seek me, you will find me. When you seek me with all of your heart. Also, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. If you'd like to pray with someone about this, our prayer line is 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. We would love to pray with you. On that number again, 1-800-772-936. Well, we invite you to join us again next time when we'll hear more of Sarah's story and how the Lord sets her free from the bondage of drug addiction. That's all coming up next time until then i'm jimmy colfax encouraging you to share your story with someone today next time on the story
1: i was out one night in the middle of the night in the park and i was just scared and desperate and i cried out and i was like is this what i was made for you know i was screaming at the top of my lungs and i was just so desperate in that moment i just felt a deep sense in my heart of love all of a sudden And just an inner voice saying, no, I did not create you for that. And I'm going to show you a way out.
0: Sarah Smith joins us once again to share more of her story and how the Lord set her free from drug addiction and dysfunctional relationships. That's Sarah Smith sharing more of her journey to freedom next time. The Story. story. Just another way vision is helping you look to God daily.